Good afternoon. My name is Ron Baker, and I'm an alcoholic. I, uh, I'm going to set this uh, stopwatch so that uh, I know when 6 o'clock gets here. All right. I am so honored to be here. Um, I go by a few names. One of my names, uh, I just introduced myself. Uh, my friends in AA call me Ronnie B., uh, so I go by that as well. Uh, my home group is a host of Friends Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous men's group in Riverview, Florida. There we go. Obviously, if I move to Jacksonville, I will go to uh, the, the, the meeting here that all the cool kids go to. So, uh, but uh, I haven't moved here yet. Don't plan to, actually. But um, I've had a wonderful time here. That my host and hostesses have been just uh, just wonderful. Um, my sobriety date is uh, August 28, 1991. Um, it was the day after my last arrest, and by last arrest, there were five of them. Um, the state of Florida calls me by another name. It is 695574. Uh, you can see my uh, wonderful picture on the Florida career criminal um, registration page. Um, people like me are not supposed to be here. People like me are supposed to be in prison. In fact, I was sentenced to 70, 70 years in prison. That's a seven and a zero, no decimal points, um, by a crooked judge who uh, was, you know, he didn't get the bribe that he was requesting. Um, that's, a, that's a part of my story I get to in a moment, but uh, I want to tell you, this morning we went for a run. And how many of you were on the run with me this morning? Let's see some hands there. We all survived, right? Um, most of you finished before me. Um, I used to be an avid runner, ran a marathon. I, I say I ran two, my first one, my last one, never again. Um, that's one area of my life that will apply the moderation concept that nowhere else applies in my life. Um, but uh, this morning, like any, you know, I, I know what it takes to be a long-distance runner, so I want to kind of tell you what we did, and, and uh, it was so different than a regular run. So many of the people that ran this morning stopped and talked to the homeless people and invited them to this meeting. Ain't that cool? Right. If you know runners, you know that we, we live by the time, right? We live by the seconds. And to stop and talk to somebody in a run, it's just unheard of. But when I started to run this morning, you know, I did what any, any long-distance runner will do. And three miles for me is now a long distance. But um, I picked the person in front of me, and I set my goal to pass them. <clears throat> and so I paced myself. I had everything working right, my steps, my cadence, my breathing. Everything's there. I finally catch up to that homeless guy pushing that cart. <laughs> and I passed him like the wind. So uh, we finished. We had a great time. We all waited around. We uh, hoo-hooed everybody, high-fived everybody, and that's just uh, the type of fellowship that I found in AA um, is my family. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you in a general way what, uh, uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I want to spend the majority of the time that we talk today um, about what it's like now. Um, if, if, by the grace of God, I make it to the 28th of this month, I'll have 30 years. And you know what? I have a sponsee that uh, is sitting in the front row here to keep me straight. My sponsor is here, too. He drove all the way up here to make sure I don't lie to you. Um, but, uh, and today, I got surprised. My wife showed up. 
Um, she wasn't going to come. She had an outstanding COVID test. It came back clean. We're good. Um, we have a couple fur babies at the house. And she, uh, she texted me and asked me what my uh, uh, room number was. She had a, a surprise gift. She was a gift. She knocked on my door an hour and a half ago. You know? it's, a, it's a four-hour drive from Tampa. She's driving back tonight. Her sponsor came up with her. And uh, just, you know, the family, the chosen family, somebody mentioned, I think that was Robin earlier today, that we have in this program is just out of this world. And I picked those words carefully. Really is out of this world. Um, and I'm very grateful to be here. I'm very grateful to be sober. Um, and so, where does it begin? Um, I am the third son of Reg and Mary. We grew up, I was born in New Jersey. I don't tell too many people that. I really don't. My wife is from New Jersey. I love her to death. Um, but uh, before I was a month old, I was in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I'm about as Floridian, Floridian as you can get without a birth certificate to say so, right? So grew up in, in, in uh, uh, St. Pete, joined the Air Force to see the world. They sent me to Cocoa Beach. And uh, so, uh, you know, here I am. Um, I will tell you before I even get started that I'm of Irish-Polish descent. That means two things. I'm very passionate and emotional. You might see me cry. It's okay. We're going to get through this. I'm also, I'm also Polish, so I may do and say some incredibly silly and stupid things. It's okay. We're going to get through this. It's the way I've lived my life. You know? so, um, um, but you know, being an Irish Polak, it was pretty much destiny that I was going to be an alcoholic because I, uh, I have a bad temper, can't hold my alcohol, and I'm halfway to stupid before I even take that first drink. So... You know, I, I, uh, my folks were both um, not well, and I grew up in the house that uh, you hear about so many times, but I want to tell you before I tell you about some of the gruesome details, you know, my bad childhood did not make me an alcoholic. There are plenty of people that have bad childhoods that do not become alcoholics. My bad childhood did not make me a criminal. There are plenty of people that have bad childhoods who are not criminals. Um, I don't know whether or not I was an alcoholic when I came out of the womb or if I just drank enough to get that point. You know what? It doesn't matter. I just know that I am an alcoholic, and in that, there, there is salvation. And that salvation I found in this program. I took my first drink at the age of 11. It was old Milwaukee beer. Anyone who drinks an old Milwaukee beer and comes back for more is probably an alcoholic. It's one of... You know, it's one of those things. That you, may, you may be a redneck if. Um, by the age of 11, I had, I had been abused in every way a child could be abused. I was a victim. I was uh, sexually abused, emotionally abused, physically abused. Um, and, and you know what? I was hurting inside. I found out later in life that hurt people hurt people. And angry people just go through life. And, and for me, the drink... Stop the pain. Even that first drink, it tasted bad. I won't kid about that. But as that drink settled down, I remember in my spirit, I, I kind of felt like you would say, ah. Oh. So at the ripe old age of 12, I committed my first crime. I broke into a community center and I stole Pap's Blue Ribbon, a whole six pack. And it was warm. And I drank it. So, 
you know, I, I, looking back, obviously I was an alcoholic right out of the gate. Um, early teens, uh, you know, I was already abusing alcohol by the time I was 15, 16. Um, I was, uh, I, I have other labels and titles that I, that, I, that I have. I think labels and titles kind of define our stories sometimes. Became a captain of the uh, football team. I had a uh, football scholarship. Um, and, uh, and I passed on that because I just had to get out of the house. I just had to get somewhere. And uh, so I joined the Air Force. And I was great in that environment, in a controlled environment. I was fine until they let me off the base. And then I unraveled. And uh, in the Air Force, as other military organizations, they have nickel beer night. And, uh, and boy, did I, I take advantage of that. My drinking took off. I was an air traffic controller as a fully active alcoholic. Think about that next time you're, you're flying. <laughs> If you don't have a prayer life, maybe that'll kind of, you know, help you out in that area. Um, I will say I never drank on the job, but I was stark raving crazy. Um, the Air Force and I had a parting in company, had to do with another arrest. Um, Air Force asked me to leave. By the grace of God, I had a good military record, and I remember the base commander called me in. You know, we are not stupid people, are we? Some of us are some of the most successful, capable, smart people that I've ever met. I've met heroes in this room. I met, I've met heroes this weekend. The speakers have been just absolutely awesome. Makes me wonder. That's right. Every one of them brought tears to my eyes. Um, this, this morning I came to Robin's talk, and I, I see her sitting here, and just, just awesome. Um, and for the first time in 30 years of sobriety, I have to tell you that an, a member of Al-Anon had me crying and she wasn't even yelling at me. <laughs> that was awesome. But, uh, and I'm sure the speakers as we go forward are going to be. But, but everyone in this room has a story. Every one of us has a story that's being painted one day at a time by God that uniquely prepares you to reach that person that will never listen to me or Tommy or Robin. And, and those people are going to be in your path. And I think it's so, so vital that we carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not a different message, but the message that has worked for many, many, many years. And that's what I'm going to try to convey to you, and that's what was given to me. Um, so I, was, uh, I left the Air Force. I went from an air traffic control to a pest control in six weeks. To, I can show you how to do that kind of stuff. I'm really good at it. So um, at one point, I was, I was flying. I was on flight status. I was blowing up stuff. I was a 22-year-old kid. I was having a ball shooting machine guns from the fighters and blowing up stuff down at Avon Park. I remember flying over Avon Park, and there's a prison there. And I looked down at the prison, and there's these guys walking around in blue uniforms. And I thought, what losers. Little did I know that one day I'd be wearing that uniform. Um, so uh, there I was. I was spraying bugs. And um, that's not... A great thing for an egocentric person like I was to uh, to be doing. I was devastated, um, and uh, I was stealing people's alcohol and dry goods, and I was. Uh, and that's by the way, that's burglary. Even though you have a key, if you go in someone's house and, and burglarize it, steal their food, um, I was just off the chain. My mother died in her uh, her uh, addiction during that time. Nineteen, gosh, what was that? Nineteen eighty. 
one, she passed away, and she wrote a suicide note, and the, new, the note blamed me. You know, I know today that wasn't my fault, but, it, but at the ripe old age of 21, 22, I didn't know. And I lost myself in the bottle, and I woke up in prison. At that point, I was 23 years old. I was sentenced. <laughs> they caught up with me. Um, all these burglaries that I did, stealing people's beer and dry goods and so forth, um, they found my logbook and they kind of connected the dots. Most drug dealers don't call the police if you steal their stuff, you know, I found out. Um, so I got away with that for two and a half years. Well, I was on probation for the assault that I committed on the beach in, in, uh, when I was in the Air Force, and so I was in the jail. They let me out. And uh, so, like any good alcoholic, the night before sentencing, right, I'm going to have to do a little time in the county jail, probably. But they're going to understand this is, you know, I'm a good guy. Well, I, got, I tied one on, and I remember that night in 1983, I, I climbed in my bedroom window, which I thought was kind of odd, but I was pretty wasted. And I remember uh, uh, getting undressed down in my white boxers and black socks, and that's going to be material here in just a second. Uh, bear with me. Um, and uh, and uh, as I was trying to stop the, the, the room from spinning around, you know, with the foot on the, on the floor, remember that? Um, I heard people talking in my home. And I got up and I did what any homeowner would do. I chased them out of my house with a steak knife in my white boxers and black socks. I came out of that fog and that blackout as I'm standing in the parking lot of an apartment complex that I didn't live. I chased people out of their own home at 2 o'clock in the morning. They call that armed burglary of a, of a, a residence, and it's a first degree punishable by life. So, um, so anyway, um, I was on bond. The, uh, the judge wasn't really that understanding. And uh, they sentenced me to seven years in prison. That was just a seven, no zero. And uh, it was 1983. I had blonde hair back then, a little more of it, and uh, bluer eyes. And I show up in uh, FSP, a place called Butler, in uh, 1983. I want to tell you that uh, up until that point, I, uh, I kind of thought I was a badass and, and uh, martial arts and military and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I found out real quick that I wasn't. I fought for four and a half years. I fought not to be raped again because of my childhood. I fought to keep whatever little I had. I just fought. I had to fight. And I walked out of prison in 1987 and convinced of one thing. I never want to go back to prison. And I knew that I wouldn't go back to prison as long as I didn't get caught doing a crime again. I can drink, obviously. I mean, I just, I just need to you know, drink in moderation, right? So I went to college, and I became a business major, minor in marketing. I was straight A's. Phi Beta Kappa came to me, show you how, how ignorant I was. I didn't know what Phi Beta Kappa was, and just a bunch of pencil neck geeks I didn't really want to be a part of. Um, so uh, I was uh, um, going through college, continued to drink. Um, I had another hostage at that point. Uh, it was a, a relationship. Um, but, but, you know, before I came to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the only reason you were in my life is because I was getting something from you. I didn't have relationships. I took hostages. If I could not exploit you for something, you know, why have you in my life? Um, and that's really 
what I was taught. I could only do what I was taught, and that's how I was raised. Really sad, really empty, really shallow, and it sucked. Um, did, you, did you guys ever hear the, uh, the prayer, the West Connect prayer, by the way? That just reminded me. There's a very, very philosophical, very spiritual prayer that they, that they shared with me before this, the, the, uh, this, and they prayed, God, don't let me suck. <laughs> so if I start sucking, just pray the West Connect prayer and everything's going to be okay. Um, but uh, so um, there I was out of prison, going to college, in crazy relationships, um, you know, I was completely unmanageable about alcohol, but I didn't have any area of my life that was manageable. My finances, my romances, anything and everything in my life was just crazy. And I was empty inside. Everywhere I went, I, I, I forget which one of the speakers was talking about it, but we can all identify. I never fit in wherever I went. You know, I, uh, I was the black sheep of the family. I was a black sheep of the football team. I was a black sheep of the squadron in the Air Force. And it wasn't until I walked into these rooms that I met the rest of the herd. <laughs> You're my peeps. You're the rest of the black sheep. You think like I think. You drank like I drank. You felt like I felt. And we talk a language. I met some people today I've never met. I see Chris and Patrick back there. We shared a bagel this morning at, uh, um, in, in, the, in the hospitality room. And we share stories and, and, and just, just a little bit. But you know what? Here we are, complete strangers, never seen each other, and we connect. From the heart. That's, that's beautiful stuff. You can't buy that. Um, but you can earn your place in this room if you haven't uh, joined Alcoholics Anonymous and you're wondering what the heck these people are talking about. Just keep coming back. Um, so, I'm a black, blackout drunk and uh, I was full of rage and, uh, and I was still drinking and uh, I was drinking so much they gave me a job in a bar. You know, <laughs> gave me a tab. So I owe them money. They didn't ever pay me. I pay them. Um, that was a part-time gig. And uh, so this is getting to the point of what happened. What happened was my last arrest. Now, I'll tell you this. In, in, uh, remember that burglary when I chased the people out of their own home? I was on probation for burglary. I was on uh, an assault and so forth. Um, I had, I guess somebody thought my military record was more than it was because it wasn't that special. But when they came to get me, they came to get me with SWAT teams and or a SWAT team. I don't want to inflate that but anyway there's a helicopter there was they had rifles pointing at me there's I don't know I remember about 20 cops maybe there was more I don't know Pinellas County you can look it up and I was so so very proud of that <laughs> you know that's that when I relapse that's that's kind of what I'm looking at I'm not you know I'm not going to hurt someone's feelings they're going to send a SWAT team <laughs> but I used to brag about that as I was doing time you know, when you're doing time, everything's so ego. And so, you know, I'm the, I'm the baddest guy in the block and all that kind of stuff. But um, so I got arrested, and I was just terrified of going back to prison. I was jumping through the hoops. They had a little, um, they called it a task cell, uh, treatment alternatives to crime and or street crime. And so I was going, and I, I, I was jumping through the hoops. I was, I was working the steps. Yeah, right. I actually worked the steps my first AA meeting. I read them. That, yeah, I got that. No problem. <laughs> I'm going to start making my calls this afternoon and make amends. You know, we'll do that. So uh, um, I'm jumping through the hoops. I'm playing the game like I've always played. I can fit in on the football team. I can fit in in the Air Force. I can fit in here. I can fit in there. But inside, I never fit in anywhere. And so uh, um, I'm jumping through these hoops. Got a plea. 
I used to say I was supposed to go to drug treatment because I never had a chance. Um, and, uh, and so I had a plea agreement. If you know anything about a law, it's a contract in criminal law. It was signed by me, the prosecutor, my attorney, the judge. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. And the judge asked my dad for five grand to make that happen. And my dad said no. I didn't know about this for years. Uh, my dad said no. And, uh, and so the judge kicked that plea agreement out. Long story short, he designated me as a habitual violent felony offender, not the state attorney, not the prosecutor. They weren't interested in that Um, because you could look at my crimes. I don't want to minimize it. I I, I did crimes. I earned myself a seat on that bunk in prison. I was knocking on the door of prison for a long time. I have no one to blame for them opening the door. Okay, that's my fault. And I'll also qualify this. All the bad things that I've done in my life, I take full responsibility. I'm going to share with you some really, really wonderful things that have happened in my life to me, things that I've been able to do. And I do that for this. I give all the credit of that to God. I do that because I want to show you a comparison of what I was and what I am. Okay? I, that's not ego-based. That's God-based. That's what God will do for you because he doesn't, I'm no, special, no, more, no more special than you, right? So um, with that qualification, um, the judge did that. He sentenced me to 70 years. And I remember to this day when he said 70, I looked at my attorney, who was, by the way, moving. He was doing a, a pretty quick hustle away from me. And uh, the bailiff was coming in between us. And, and I said, he said seven, right? He said, no, 70. And so um, I went to prison with 70 years. I'm not supposed to survive that. Um, I became a law clerk. Um, I learned to law. went to law school when I was in. Um, it's part of the story. Part of what happened was um, when, when they put that on my, that put, put that 70 years on my back, um, and they sent me to a prison where people don't usually get out from. And uh, it, was a, it was a bloodbath. It was a very ugly place. And I don't want to glamorize it. It's just ugly. It's dark. It's evil. And, uh, and I belong there. You hear that? I belong there because of my conduct. So there I was, and I realized that I was probably never going to get out of prison. And I had seen something in AA. They actually let me out on bond for a little while during that, the proceedings, and I was going to AA. I had to have a paper sign. Please don't ever criticize someone who has a paper sign. It saved my life. So... There's that Irish stuff. So um, as I was going to those meetings, I saw something in your eyes I had never seen before. Couldn't put my finger on it, but I wanted it. It was peace. It was feeling comfortable in your own skin. I wanted that, and I had no idea to get from there to here. I just didn't know how to do that. And I was too proud to ask. But when they gave me the 70 years, they gave me a little motivation. I figured if I'm going to die in prison, I want to die with what I saw in their eyes, what I saw in your eyes, what I see in your eyes. And it's what I see in my eyes when I look in the mirror today. And today I can look in the mirror without feeling disgrace and disgust and shame. But so there I was in prison, and I go to, I'm going to meetings and so forth. I'm working to the steps to the best of my ability, which wasn't much. When I came to AA, I came for three reasons, and it was not a desire to stop drinking. I came for three reasons. Well, I wanted to get the paper signed, but I wanted to avoid going to prison. I wanted to keep the girl, and I wanted to keep my job. I lost all three. So you can say that AA really didn't work so well for me the first year. So, uh, but for whatever reason, I had, I had tasted something that I wanted more of. I kept coming back. 
Well, there I was in prison. I was a criminal. And I really was a criminal. And, uh, and so I, had, I, was, I was funding loan. I was funding the dope boys, bringing dope on the compound. But I wasn't using it, so I was sober, right? <laughs> I, uh, I had stores in different dorms. Um, I had hired muscle. If I couldn't deal with you, I'd have someone that could. Um, I was 250, 260 pounds, 19-inch arms. I learned a few things in prison. You, pick, you, you lift weights, you play basketball, and you learn how to roll a cigarette. Got it. No problem. And, uh, and I was not surviving. I was thriving. I thought that if someone feared me, that was respect. And I demanded to be respected. You know why? Because I was so afraid. I was so afraid that they could see through the veneer into who I was. And I was a jelly man inside. I was scared. I was lonely. And I didn't fit in. Even in prison. I got locked up under investigation. That's the prison's way of saying, you know what? We really don't want to deal with you. We're putting you away. And uh, so there I was in a, in a confinement cell, solitary confinement. I had a big book. I had a big, big book. That's all I had, uh, my boxers. So uh, in that cell, because I had made a meager effort of working the steps to the best of my ability, and I at least showed some willingness, I opened that door just a crack. God opened it the rest of the way. I had a spiritual experience in that solitary cell in January of 1993, about 18 months of sober, sobriety at that point. I was not looking for it. I didn't want it. I saw people that went to church in prison as weak and victims. And, uh, and, and I tell you what, the man who walked out of that cell in 1993 in that maximum security prison, I had, I had weapons on the compound. I had money on the compound. That man was a new man. I wasn't the man that walked in. I was no longer willing to harm another human being. That's great, as long as you're not in a in maximum security prison. <laughs> so I didn't know it then. I was just convinced I'm going to beat this case and go home. I found out from my father that it was a crooked judge and I'm going to get him, right? I have a tattoo on my arm. It's an arm reaching through the razor wire with a justice scale lightning bolt. And on the bottom of that, it said justice. My goal was to get out of prison and kill the judge. I'm not joking. I, 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 when I put my head on a pillow every night, I thought about how I was going to do that. I was a marksman. I was a woodsman. I've been hunting since I was a kid. I was going to do this. He took my life. I'm going to take his. And then after I came out of that, that cell, I realized that doesn't belong on my arm anymore. And you can't just go to a tattoo shop in prison, you know. Um, they, they, take a, they take a pin, put it in an eraser of a pencil, they dip it in a, a piece of a chess piece that they melt it down, and then they poke. It kind of hurts. I didn't really want to go through that again. But God impressed on me that, that uh, it's his justice, not my justice. So above that tattoo, I put God's with apostrophe S. God's justice. He'll work it out. Now, at the end of this story, if... And in my story, if I don't tell you the rest of the story about the judge, I want you to say, here comes the judge, and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. I've forgotten that sometimes. My wife will wave at me sometimes and say, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, I had a spiritual experience. I went to the uh, chapel, and I said, I'm very confused. I don't know what to do. He handed me a, a, a big book of my own, a Christian 12-step. Um, I became involved in a church, not a, not a necessity for us, but it happens in most instances, the big book says. 
Um, and I started going to meetings, seriously. And I got a sponsor, seriously. And I worked the steps, seriously. And I found that, that AA got in me. You know, I came to AA and I was at AA a long time before I got in AA. I heard about God. I heard I want to talk about God. And I, and, and I was around God. But until God got inside me through the working of these steps, I didn't change. I had to change from the inside out. I'll tell you that I walked for 20 years in prison as a nonviolent person. Doesn't mean that I was willing to be a victim. I had to arm myself a couple times. I had to be ready to uh, protect myself. Um, but you know what? God always turned, turned things away. Now that's what it was like, and that's what happened. So now I am in AA. I am a recovering alcoholic, and I'm going to serve another 20 years in prison. Thank God he didn't tell me that. Thank God that my release was in his time, not mine, because I wasn't ready to get out then. So I'm sponsoring people. I'm sponsored. I'm so terrified of telling uh, another convict that I was sexually abused as a kid. You know, when I, and I share this, being sexually abused is something that happened to me. And so many times, when I'm not, I'm not held captive by my past anymore. I really don't regret my past, nor wish to shut the door on it. Boy, I couldn't get that for a long time because I hurt people. I, I, if I could take that back, boy, I'd, I'd take it back like that. But my story reaches people because there are a lot of people in here who had similar things happen to them. And so many men have come up to me and said, I can't believe you shared that. That's my story too. And that starts them healing. That Irish coming back up. <laughs> you know... <clears throat> I have, a little side note, I have flown in fighters, I have shot missiles, I have blown up things, I married a New Jersey redhead, I've jumped out of airplanes, um, I've uh, repelled down waterfalls, I've, I've, uh, I've, we, we went and dove at night with manta rays. I say that to say I've done some really exciting, some really, really neat things, right? But there's nothing, here it goes, <laughs> there's nothing that excites me more today than seeing the lights come on. <clears throat> and being a small part of God doing that in another man. Because when those lights came on in my heart, I changed. Didn't have to hurt people no more. Never had to take another drink. I'm one of those one-ship wonders, you know. How does that happen? It happens because of the power of God. One of the focal points of what it's like now is I live from a place of God's acceptance. I don't live for your acceptance. I love you, and I hope that we can get along. But I no longer, I'll tell you, I, I, I found the secret of happiness is in these rooms. And I know that the way to unhappiness is trying to live for everyone else's acceptance. Today, I know that God has accepted me. He loves me and I accept myself. And I've forgiven myself. Um, I was speaking with a man that uh, did time like I did time this weekend. I hope he's here. And uh, this, uh, this weekend, and he, was, he shares a similar background of mine. Uh, you know, being abused like I was abused as a kid, and he obviously has that anger in him. 
And, uh, and I told him just the most incredible thing you probably ever heard. You have to forgive him. You have to forgive that guy. And you know what? If you have resentments in your heart today, if you have that anger and you haven't forgiven somebody, it has so little to do with that other person and so much to do with you. Because I have... Um, part of my story is I became free a long time before they freed me. I became free when I had that exper- a spiritual experience. One of the guys I walked the compound with is sitting on the front row here with me. And uh, when there wasn't an AA meeting, we made an AA meeting. He walked with me at, and Mary, and as we carried the message into a group of uh, uh, people getting out of prison, and we told them that they never, ever have to drink or drug again if they don't want to. And, uh, and I don't know how many of those people heard that message, really heard that message, but I know we carry the message. And I don't know how many of those people stay sober, but I know we stayed sober. And, uh, and today we're sharing a, a room upstairs, and, and uh, we drove up here together, and, uh, and somehow, somehow God brought us back together again. Um, that's the kind of family we have here in this room. Uh, so, there I'm in prison. My, my sponsor said, look, I know you have a problem with God. And by the way, I had a problem with God. Didn't really want nothing to hear about God. I grew up a Southern Baptist, and uh, I have a similar story as what we heard this weekend, where I'd go into and listen to the person that, in the pulpit saying that God's really mad at me. And I'm going to burn in hell if I don't uh, fix myself. And I couldn't fix myself. So that was a God of my understanding, right? Well, um, I grew, and uh, my sponsor told me, you need to pray. And pray um, that uh, if God is real, reveal himself to you. He did. I was, uh, I, I told you I went to law school, became a law clerk. Sometimes um, that's not uh, seen as very favorably by the, uh, the staff in prison. A little side note. If there are any correctional officers, wardens, police officers, judges, um, street cops in the room right now, thank you. There are people, people like you, when you arrested me, you didn't just arrest the body. You said things in action that arrested the disease. So, as a career criminal, one of the things that they do is they come to your house and they verify that that's you, you're living in that, that address, and they do that supposed to, be, supposed to be every year. I haven't seen them in five or six years now. Because when they come over to my house, I get to share the message with them. And uh, maybe they don't want to hear the message. <laughs> but uh, I have a debt of gratitude to anyone that wears a uniform and is a law enforcement officer. And I think you have the most incredible jobs, hardest jobs around. And it was someone like you who arrested someone like me. It was said in a, in a meeting that I'm so grateful. Polly said it. I'm so grateful that God interfered in my life without my permission. And he interfered in my life without my permission through a, a, a group of officers in uniform. You know, that's just the way it was. So uh, there was one occasion. I was working in the law library. I helped a, a, a young black kid. got nine years off of his sentence. They had messed up his score sheet. He went, I was back in the county jail at the time. He went in front of the, the crooked judge, and, uh, and he showed him the paperwork. I was volunteering from midnight to 4 a.m. in this law library. And so uh, um, that's what we do, right? Service, wherever we're at, try to leave the place a little better than when we got there. If we can help somebody, we do that. Um, that's what the runners did this morning when they stopped and invited homeless to come in here. You know, that's what some of you did when you 
carry your uh, sponsees. You voluntold them to come to the, uh, uh, to the uh, convention. That's what we do. And so I helped this kid. He had a, a seventh grade education. He got in front of my judge and he said, son, you're absolutely right. We're going to take nine years off your sentence. But how did you figure that out? You have a seventh grade education. He said, you know what? This really nice law clerk named Ron Baker. This was a crooked judge who really hated me, apparently. And so that night, I left my little bunk in an open bay dormitory and I went to solitary confinement again. The judge had ordered it. That night, this young fella came in my cell and he was beaten to a pulp. Broken nose. Not the same kid. Not the same kid. Uh, this is a little white guy. And uh, he came in, broken nose, split lip, black eye. And I said, that, 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 that's a heck of a thing. What happened to you? And he said, you know, I stole some food off of the officer's cart and they threw me in a five percenter cell. Now, you know, prison is not a nice place. And uh, one of the things is, uh, this may shock you, it's a little racial in there. I'm not. But uh, there's some people in there that are. Five percenters is a black group of racists that um, claim Islam and they're just a hate group, and they hate anything that's not them. And uh, so had, they had this cell. There's a two-man cell with three of the five percenters in there. If they didn't like you and you weren't black, they'd put you in there, and they'd beat you up. And those five percenters would get an, an extra tray of food, which is a big deal when you're hungry. And, uh, and that's what they did to this little guy named Robert. And uh, so Robert came in. I fixed his nose and uh, patched him up a little bit, and I introduced him to this way of life. I said, well, that must be a God, God appointment, right? You know, so uh, he went about his business. The next day he went to prison. Never seen him again. I don't know if he's sober today, but I know that I am. So uh, the guards came to my cell about an hour, two hours later. <clears throat> there were three or four of them, and they said, Baker, we're sorry. We've got to take you down to the 5 percenter cell. And they said, if you don't go, we're going to do a cell extraction. And they have these really neat names, you know. And cell extraction means they're going to come in and beat your butt. And then they're going to drag you down and throw you in the cell. And then they're going to beat your butt. Now, I did say that I'm Polish, but I'm not that stupid. If I have the choice between one or two butt whooping, I'm taking one every day, right? <laughs> so I packed my stuff up. And at this point, I have, I have grown in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have grown in my conscious contact with God. I've grown in my faith. I no longer walked in fear all the time. I was afraid, but I was walking in faith. There's a difference. See, I don't think fear and faith are the opposites. I think that you can have fear and still operate in faith. I don't think courage and fear are mutually exclusive. I believe that, that courage is walking through something, even when you're afraid. So I was armed when I went down there. I had my serenity prayer. I had my third step prayer. One of the parts of the third step prayer is, God, relieve me of my difficulties, that victory over them will bear witness to those I might help. And you know what? That's you today, because I, I want to share what God did for me in that situation. I went down. They, they took this big bar off that big metal door, and they opened the cell door, a big padlock on it, too. It looked like something out of, you know, the dark ages. And uh, they put me in the cell, and they said, we'll be back in 20 minutes to take you to the infirmary. There was no question about what I was being put in that cell for, right? The big door shut, the metal arm came down, the big lock went on, and I'm standing there, I'm praying. But I'm also planning. I said, Lord, you know, I, I put... 
I put this commitment to you many years ago that I would, I would no longer be violent. But if they get up to whoop me, I'm taking the big guy down first. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so there I was. I was still praying now. I didn't want to do that. I was still praying. And the big guy looked at me and he, he said, they're all putting their tennis shoes on. And it's not because they're going to play basketball. So they're putting their shoes on and a big guy looks at me, calls me by a racial name and said, why would they put you in here? And I said, I don't know. I do, I, all I know is I'm a law clerk. He stopped. He looked up at me. And he said, uh, he called me by another racial name. And he said, uh, uh, are you that law clerk from prison that's working in the uh, law library here in jail? I said, yeah. He said, you helped my nephew. You got nine years off his sentence. I had prayed for a number of years, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Now, I'll tell you something, that the guards did not come back in 20 minutes. It was more like 40. But when they came back, we were playing cards. <laughs> Thanks for him. I was also winning, but that's a different story. <laughs> I, at that point, I had already gotten breakfast trays, right? You know, that's, that's kind of what you're... If you don't have any money, you kind of gamble food. But uh, so they were kind of astonished by that. And uh, um, there, was, there was riots that I was in where everyone that looked like me, white, were getting smashed and killed. I remember once I walked across a compound as if I was invisible because the God that I came to know here was revealing himself to me. There were times that uh, there, was, there was one incident when there was a big change in law. I got a couple hundred guys, got a couple hundred guys out of prison. And, uh, and you have to do that stuff covertly because if the warden finds out and the, and the guards find out, they kind of look at that as you're taking their job away. And uh, so somebody snitched on me for doing good deeds. Good deeds do not go unpunished in prison. Um, and they shipped me to a really, really, really bad prison. And they surrounded me with officers and they put me under a stairwell. And that's where, you know, they opened up a can of whoop-ass. But they didn't. Because I was armed that day with the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, the serenity prayer, and my God went before me. I don't know how that happens, but it happened. And, uh, and so the last prison I was at was a place in Ocala called Marion. You know how many prisons there are in Florida, by the way? There are 56 major institutions. There are over, usually over 100,000 people in prison. Miraculously, 33,000 people go to prison every year, and 33,000 people get out of prison every year. It's almost like it's planned. <laughs> so um, there I was. I was a law clerk. And, uh, and for whatever reason, I got good at that because I believe that God called me into service, and I didn't know how else to be a serv of service early in sobriety, but I could write and I could type, so I became a law clerk. I walked into an all-black law library, and I said, if you teach me, I will take out your trash and do your typing. Um, old, uh, there's, a, there's a position. It's, it's kind of a, it's a senior law clerk. You're kind of the guy. There's not a, a, a title that the prison gives you, but all the convicts know that's a senior law clerk the guy. And the guy at this compound was a guy named Bright. Dwight, excuse me. And, uh, and he, uh, he hired me and he trained me. That was in, gosh, 1993, matter of fact. 
And uh, in 2018, I stood in a courtroom with a motion that I'd written after I was freed. Got Dwight out. Again, all the credit goes to God. All I did was show up, okay, you want me to go do something? I'll go ask this guy, that, that, uh, this black guy, for a job. And he trained me, and then 25 years later, I got him out of prison. You know, God used me. I'm just a hammer. I'm just a tool, right? It's God's handiwork. He just uses us. So uh, Dwight works for me now, and uh, that's, a, that's another story. But uh, So I'm a law clerk. I get, uh, I get some notoriety. Some law, some law firms come and offer me jobs. I read this other book, and there's a neat story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, and a neat story. These guys had spiritual principles that they would not compromise. And because of their principles, their spiritual beliefs and principles, they were thrown into a furnace. They would not compromise. And I liked that. I thought that was courageous. But they threw three men in a furnace, and then when the king looked in, who threw them in a furnace? And the furnace was so hot, by the way, that the guys that threw them in the furnace, they died. It was that hot. The king looked in, he saw that furnace, and there was another person in there. And he said, hey, I threw three of you in there, and now there's four. What's going on? And those three guys said, that is our God. He said, well, you know, obviously I can't burn you up. Come on out of there. And the three guys walked out. And I, I, I could really relate to that because there I was in prison, an evil, dark, ugly place, and I, God was walking with me. There was a time that it was a, I was in a riot, and I remember walking across the compound trying to get out of the riot. By the way, if you're in a riot in prison, hopefully you never get there, you have five minutes to get the dormitory. If you don't, you're part of it. And if shooting starts, you would get shot. They call the National Guard, and that happens, and you never hear about it. But uh, So I'm walking across the compound, and I remember as I'm walking, I felt as if a hand had pressed against my chest, stopped me in mid-stride. And as I paused, this big D-cell battery went right. I could hear it. If I had not paused, I would have caught it right there. And I might have been more brain damaged than I am already. <laughs> but uh, again, God's showing up for me. Well, I like that prayer, that, uh, or I like that story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I started praying to the God of my understanding that when I walked out of prison, I didn't want to smell of prison. I, and I do want you to know I am bilingual. I do speak prison. We, uh, uh, I own a company today, a paralegal firm. Um, it's uh, attorneys now <laughs> sort of work for me instead of me paying them to keep me out of prison. They pay me. Um, it's ironic to get what God will do. But we get letters from prisoners all the time, and I have to interpret those letters from my wife, who is not bilingual. And, uh, so uh, I'm getting out of prison, and I'm praying that prayer, don't let me smell of prison when I walk out of prison. And Because uh, most people getting out, getting out of prison have a hard time. Who wants to hire a habitual violent felony offender? Who wants to hire a career criminal who spent 27 years in the joint? People like me are not supposed to be here. People like me are not supposed to own corporations. Instead of a DC number out of my name, I have CEO after my name. You know, today I don't have to scrounge money up to to pay a lawyer. I, I have to think about places to put the money. 
I don't say that for me. I say that as evidence of what God will do in your life. So I get out of prison, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a few weeks, a few months, getting out of prison, I guess it was, and I had two, law, two job offers, one in Jacksonville. Who wants to go there? <laughs> to Sony and Sitka, a law firm had offered me a job here. And then there was a law firm down in, in uh, Riverview, Florida. Never heard of the place. And I said, God, you know what? I'm kind of, you know I'm Polish, so uh, make it simple for me, please. And, uh, and all of a sudden I get a letter that the place in Riverview, they also have a house that they'll give me as part of the benefits package. I'm sitting on a prison bunk, and I'm getting benefit packages. I walk out of prison into a $1,000 a week job, and I go to work for that law firm. I rent the house. I do a lease option. I buy the house. Let me back up just a little bit. Um, I was married while I was in prison. There are ladies that, um, for some reason or another, like to marry incarcerated men. There are incarcerated men whose ego is inflated by a woman giving them attention. And I had the best intentions, I did, but it didn't work out. 22 years sober, a year out of prison, I get divorced. I didn't want it, didn't look for it. I was willing to go to counseling, but it was not a two-way street. My sponsor at the time told me, Tom Sled, he told me, he said, whatever happens, I want you to be able to look back at this and know that you did the right thing every step of the way, that you keep your side of the street clean. And so I did. And, and uh, it was tough. I mean, that's a very hard situation. I remember after she left and, and ran up the, the uh, credit cards and emptied the bank account, um, and she called me and she said she was coming back to Riverview to have a garage sale at my house. I said, well, that's odd. You live 100 miles away. Why would you come into my house and have a garage sale? Because I'm going to sell every stick of furniture left in your house. She took almost everything. You know, so I called my sponsor. I had to hang up the phone because I didn't trust myself to say the right thing. So I called my sponsor and, uh, and he did a quick, you know, reset. Stop talking about her. Talk about you. And uh, he said, look, just call her back, be pleasant, say no. No's okay. And so I did. And, and, and that ended that story. So I'm going to uh, meetings in, in, uh, in Riverview, and, uh, and I'm, I'm plugging in. I'm, I'm, I got sponsors. I got a good sponsor. Tom Slett was awesome. He, uh, my current sponsor and I, he was our sponsor. He passed. He died sober. And uh, so Bill and I were like, you know, well, what do we do now? And so I think we pulled lots. Well, who's going to be the sponsor? I don't know. You know, you're cool. I'm cool. You know, so uh, whoever pulls a short stick, yeah, you're the you're the guy. Anyway, um, he's been my sponsor now for uh, a number of years, and uh, uh, we have a great men's fellowship in, in uh, Riverview. We have retreats. I, I I believe in strong sponsorship. I have um, a sponsor family meeting. We have retreats that we go to. We have commitments we make. We want to hear about the things that you need to do in sobriety and the things that you are doing in sobriety. If you don't do them, you get to wear a bright pink shirt that says, Half Measures Availed Us Nothing. <laughs> so, uh, serious stuff. When you're at the men's retreat smoking cigars, talking about the bucks, right? Yeah, but anyway, um, 
So I'm at a uh, I'm at a meeting and I'm not interested at all in relationships. The first time in my meeting, God and I are a complete equation. Think about that. When I am ready not to be in a relationship, that's when I'm ready to be in a relationship. When I am cool, just chilling with God. When I'm okay without someone else telling me that I'm okay. That's when God is going to send someone special into your life. You know what? If I was a father and I had a bunch of daughters, I'm not sending one of my daughters to you, buddy, when you're messing up. I'm going to send a daughter to you when you're flying right, when you're right here, when you're ready to honor and respect and cherish, right? So when I talk to guys today, you know, they're, they're, uh, why is it the first thing we get back in sobriety is our opinion? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm about 30 minutes sober here. I think I'm ready to start dating, you know? I just found out on the slide that one of my sponsees, in the middle of his four-step, he's dating on the Internet site. Well, we're going to have a meeting when I get back. So, uh, but I'm finally okay. I'm not looking. You know, my radar's not on. And I hear this lady talking in a meeting, uh, and she's talking so much honor, so much integrity, so much strength, so much sobriety, so much spirituality. And I'm sitting in a place I can't really see her. It's a good thing. Because if I saw her, I, I wouldn't be listening to her anymore. And uh, and then and I after after the meeting, I, I I put my eyes on the lady whose name I changed. So I came to the retreat. Excuse me. I came to the convention alone. I was kind of identifying with Tommy. He was sharing. His best friend is at home. His wife. I call my wife my partner because she's my partner and she's my heart. And I'm lazy. It's one word instead of two. <laughs> so uh, she, uh, um, she surprised me just a little while ago by uh, knocking on my door, you know. Uh, gosh, I was, I was speechless. Imagine that, you know. But uh, anyway, we, uh, this career criminal got permission to go to um, Montana. So on a cliff in Montana, I proposed. I was next to a cliff, so she said no, I had a way out. We got married in Maui, so we have a sign that says, we, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just can't to bear with me. It says we were Maui'd. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing that I no longer live for the approval of other people. I was, <laughs> if some of my prison friends had saw that, they wasn't wrong. <laughs> so uh, we have an incredible life today. Incredible life today. We, we, that house that I got out, we bought since we got married. We, we, we chipped in together. We were able to make that happen. We own the house on a lake. We have a huge pool. It's bigger than the pool that's here. How does that happen? It doesn't. How does a, a career criminal get out of prison and go to work for a law firm and then own his own corporation? That, that, it just doesn't happen except through the power of God, through the grace of God. See, I think, and I'm going I'm to close just for... Uh, um, uh, see, that, that, that plan worked, didn't it? The year was 2015. And uh, I went to a law seminar. And uh, at the law seminar, they were talking about juvenile resentencing, whatever, it doesn't matter. But uh, guess who was there? 
I had started praying for that, uh, that judge. And when my sponsor told me 20 years earlier, pray for the judge, I said, okay. Stomach cancer, pancreatic cancer. <laughs> get run over by a sub, by a, a, a semi, you know, a slow lingering death maybe, whatever. I said, no, no. Pray that he gets blessed with every blessing you have. Now, that is how you forgive somebody. Forgiveness is not just a concept. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a neat thing to talk about. It is a verb. It is what you have to do if you're going to have peace in your life. I don't care what happened to you. I really don't care what happened to you. If you have something worse that happened to you than happened to me, please come and tell me. But whatever it is, and there may be worse things that happen. I'm sure there are. Pray for forgiveness because when you're given that forgiveness, you'll be free. I used to get pulled over by the cops in prison because I was happy. They thought I was high. So I had to, you know, do the little cup thing and all that. I wasn't high. I was free. When they opened the gates and I walked out, I was free and physically, but I was spiritually free, emotionally free a long time before that. So there's the judge. I got to walk up to the judge and shake his hand. He didn't know it was on my arm. He didn't know how many times I had killed him in my mind. I shook his hand and I said, thank you. 22 years ago at the time, or maybe it was 23 years ago at the time, whatever it was, you presided over my, 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 my case and you sent me to AA. You made me get a paper signed. And because of that, today I'm sober. He smiled really big. Again, that. that goes to God, doesn't it? And then I said, we're still shaking hands. And you sent me to prison for a very long time. And now he's trying to let go. I held for just a second. But I let go. And I said, you know what? God used that to fix me and to save me. And so today, I'm grateful for you doing what you did. Now, I didn't have to... See, that's an amends, isn't it? You were a crooked judge, and because you're a crooked judge, I'm forgiving you. That's not amends. That's an accusation. So I forgave him. And I remember, of course, the first person I want to share that with is my partner, so I call her up. We cry on the phone. I cry a lot today. And uh, the tough guy is dead. But uh, you know what? I prefer this way of life, and I prefer to have a heart. There was a time in my life before my spiritual experience, Wednesday mornings, Wednesdays are a big day in prison, you get a banana. You've heard of Taco Tuesday? It's a myth. Banana Wednesday, you get pancakes and banana. If you're the first herd of people to go in, if not, you get a hard orange that you could throw at somebody and hurt them. So I'm going to, I'm going to get my banana. And as I come out of the dorm, a guy got stabbed, and there's blood all over the wall, and he's down on the ground holding his neck, and he's bleeding. It's before my spiritual experience. I was not concerned with that man. I was concerned about my banana. I stepped over him, hustled my way to to the uh, chow hall, and never gave another thought about that until years later, and I have a spiritual experience. And I thought back to that. What a cold-hearted, dead-hearted maggot of a man I had become. 
What a wonderful contrast to the person that I was to the person that I am who now can cry in front of a few hundred people and feel okay with it. But uh, so I think we old timers, anyone who has been sober today, have a, have a huge responsibility to, to ensure that the message of Alcoholic Anonymous proceeds. I believe that a huge, huge part of this program is God. I believe that we see so many people dying around us that are coming to our meetings because they're not getting the clear, pure, unadulterated message of Alcoholics Anonymous. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a basic text, the first 164 pages, mentions God by name one 233 times. Can we ignore the presence of God in this program? Now, I had problems with God when I got here. I read Bill's story with interest when Abby came to the house. He told, he told Bill, you can choose your own concept of God. And that's true. I have my concept of God. You may have your concept of God. It is still God. I am somebody's son. I am somebody's husband. I am somebody's sponsor. I am somebody's sponsee, but I'm still wrong. See, all those people have a different concept of me, but I'm still me. You may approach God through whatever religious body or non-religious body. It's still God. I believe that the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, our sobriety and the sobriety of people to come, depend upon them receiving that message. Absent a vital spiritual experience, sufficient enough to bring about a psychic personality change, I would never have made it here. You don't get here from there. You don't get here from there unless God is a part of it. And you don't get from here. We don't get from here to where we're going unless God is a part of it. So I encourage you, make God a focal point, a central point to your message because that is a message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and you know what? Let's trudge that happy road to destiny together. This is an awesome ride, isn't it? Let's give God a hand.